episode 20 of the Tactical Breakdown podcast. We made it to 20. I'm excited. This is a special episode going out to you as a thank you for being here with us on the show and supporting us each and every week. I hope you like movies because this episode's coming right out of Hollywood. Let's get at it. Welcome to to the the Tactical Breakdown. A podcast for law enforcement, military, and emergency response professionals. Stand by. Where we help you bridge the gap and talk training, tactics, and leadership with the best subject matter experts in the world. Here is your host, Adam Kanakin. Welcome to Tactical Breakdown. This is the number one podcast for educators, trainers, and instructors around the world. Thank you for being here. If this is your first time, welcome to the show. This is our 20th show, The Big Two Zero, and I couldn't be more excited to get this out to you right before Christmas. On today's show, I have a very special guest, Christian Gudegast. Christian was the writer and director of one of my favorite movies out right now, Den of Thieves, starring Gerard Butler and Pablo Schreiber. It's about an elite unit of the L.A. County Sheriff's Department taking down a robbery crew of ex-Special Forces operators. Hell of a show. One of the things that I love most about it is its attention to detail, and that is what this episode is going to be about. I sit down with Christian, and we talk about how difficult it is to make a movie nowadays in Hollywood that doesn't piss off the men and women of law enforcement and in the military who sit there and watch the gunplay, watch the tactics play out, and hopefully doesn't upset us too much when it happens. So I got a very special opportunity to sit down and speak with Christian. This is our interview. Let's jump right into it. Christian, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us on the podcast today. Um, I'm glad we were finally able to hammer down some time. It's been a a month or two in the making. Um, And uh, thank you so much for being here, dude. My pleasure, man. I'm honored. So... Normally, I have our guests give a little bit of their law enforcement or, or military background, and obviously, because you come from a totally different realm. So what I want to do is yeah. I kind of just want to jump right into the reason why we're on this call, and it's because I wanted to ask you, being a uh-huh. director in Hollywood and, and working on movies not only as a screenwriter, as a producer, but now as a director, just how difficult is it? to make movies that appease law enforcement and military professionals right. on the tactical side, as opposed to trying to make just something that's kind of a shoot 'em up mass, like Michael right. Bay type of film. So I'm going to, I'm just going to kind of let you run with it, man. How, how hard is sure. that for you to do? It's pretty difficult. I mean, it, it comes, comes down to sort of the, what the movie is, what the tone of it is, the sensibility of the filmmakers. I mean, there are a lot of aspects to it that go into it. But I think that quite often the filmmakers may think, okay, like, let's make this authentic. Let's make this real. And they don't because they, for whatever reason, a lot of, just starting even with the script writing process, for example, a lot of writers will basically sort of, they'll base their, if they, if they got to do research about a certain world, whether it's law enforcement or CIA or spies or terrorists or whatever it is, they'll often base their research off of other movies as opposed to like going into the world itself. So I'm a real, real stickler for that. Um, and, you know, moving forward in my career, the, the films I'm going to direct, I am always going to have an army of consultants with me. 
I think it's much more difficult to do it authentically. I also think it's much more interesting to do it that way, but you'd have to make a concerted effort to do so because the artifice that's around you when you're making a movie is so overwhelming to do something honestly and that's real is it's quite frankly, it's pretty fucking difficult. And, you know, just because there's so many people involved and, you know, it, it's, it's to be able to calibrate that right from the acting to the performances to, you know, to, to work the tactics in for the actors to be able to sort of execute that. And at the same time, don't forget every day you're shooting, you're on the clock like a motherfucker. Right. And like, you've got a certain amount of time to do a certain amount of scenes, do a certain amount of shots and you are hauling ass. So it's not like we're sitting around, oh, like, what do you think of that? And let's try that again. And of course, you do more than one take off. And if you have to, of course, but you've got to move, you know. And so it's really all about the prep time. And you do as much in prep as you possibly can. And then for me, it's just it's always about sort of limiting the artifice, like like trimming that away, like from picking the location to what the characters wear to the firearms they use and how they're holding them, how they move, how they talk about it, the dialogue, how they look when they're doing it. And, you know, invariably there's going to be, you know, the, the difficult thing when you talk to, um, you know, tactical guys about movies, obviously they're always, if you talk to a seal or a cop or, a, or, or even a gangster, right. And they go, do you see that movie? What do you think? They're all, obviously they're always going to say, yeah, but this part, that part, that part. Well, of course, you know, that's, it's not a documentary. It is fiction. And you're, and even if, if the, the filmmakers are trying to make it as real, as authentic as possible, it's not easy, you know, and I think this sort of the default in my business often is just to kind of make it bigger than it would be in reality. And there are a couple of those moments in our movie that are there for sure. And that's kind of always sort of like the mandate of the powers that be the studio or the whatever. And one has to kind of push against that, push back at that if you are trying to be authentic. But it is if, if the filmmaker makes a concerted effort to make it authentic and make it real, you surround yourself with the right people. And it's really, it, it comes down to just checking yourself to not being arrogant about it, listening to them saying, hey, what would we do here? How would this work? You tell me, you know, and to listen to them and to trust them and to do what they basically, what they say. And I think oftentimes in the translation, it's like, well, that's a look at like, what, take fighting, like a fist fight in a movie, for example, right there. I've been in martial arts my whole life. And, you know, I rarely have I ever seen any kind of fighting in the film. that's real. Almost never. In the next, in the next den where, where there's going to be a huge fight scene. And, you know, my goal is to make it like a real street fight, man, just straight up the real thing. What does it look like? What feel like? And that's because, you know, you've got stunt guys who are used to doing a certain way. And then the actors come in, they want to have a bigger moment. So things kind of get, get diluted, get watered down in the process. And you really have to be, I think, diligent and sort of disciplined about not allowing that to happen if indeed you want it to be authentic. You talk about Michael Bay, for instance. I, Michael May, Bay just makes, you know, huge Hollywood films. I, I don't know that they're trying to, they're probably trying to let it sort of a, 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 a gloss of authenticity, you know what I mean? But then obviously, I think they're obviously, of course, fully aware of the fact that they're going over the top with pretty much everything, you know? But in my uh, films and my scripts and films I'll be making in the future, that will definitely not be the case. I'll be trying to do everything as authentically as possible because I find that, frankly, just much more interesting to watch. The reason why I wanted to have you on the podcast um, was because the the first movie, and obviously the whole reason this came about, was uh, because of Den of Thieves. And because I recently had a gentleman by the name of Jay Dobbins on the podcast, um, who... My boy you had as an, as a consultant on the film. And 
So we'll get into that in a second. But one of the things that struck me with Den of Thieves was that coming from a military background, the two big gripes, I guess, that you always get from the military law enforcement guys are why is there like the unlimited bullets and the yep. the top drives me crazy, right? Those are those are the, crazy. those are the two things that everybody's like, come on. But obviously, there's none of that in your films. But right. you go so far as to whittle down to the minutia of firearms tactics and training yes. and making sure that every little thing is authentic and realistic. Yes. Um, and yes. you can tell like there's, there's, yeah. there's a lot of, I mean, if we go back in, in cinema history, there's a few films that I guess everybody in law enforcement and military see as, as being tactically sound, the right. original kind of one that kind of started it all and, and set the standard would have been heat. Yep. And then, now moving into the more modern movies like John Wick, uh, Sicario, yep. things like yep. that, where where you can tell that people are the actors that are in the films are doing the work, they're putting in the reps, that yes. the directors yep. and the producers are consciously making those decisions. Yep. And and that's like you said, that's more difficult for you guys to do, right? Like because you have to send yep. these actors away to to do the training. You have to have the consultants come in, and and I'm assuming that chews up your budget and time pretty quick. Yeah, well, I mean, there are a lot of things at play here. I mean, first of all, actor schedules, right? Um, your shooting schedule. Um, I, I insisted that the actors, I can just tell you what we did. Um, so I had several people on the law enforcement side. I had Jay Dobbins from ATF. I had uh, retired uh, Sergeant Richard Valdemar from Los Angeles Sheriff's Department. Um, helped me on the script side uh, quite a bit. Um, then I had uh, Mario Cortez from Los Angeles Police Department. Uh, he's with Metro, with SWAT. And then I had a friend of mine named uh, Paul Maurice, who is Special Forces. He's a Brit. He was uh, SAS and came over here, and now he's a private contractor. So they basically, I took the actors. I, I made sure that they had time ahead of time, about a, six weeks out from the first day of shooting, to train. And we set up a boot camp. And what we did was we kept the criminal crew and the law enforcement crew separate. And I had the law enforcement actors train with cops. And I had the uh, bank robbery crew who were all ex-military, uh, uh, ex-Marines trained with, uh, in military-style training. And we got, uh, you know, we shot the majority of the movie in Atlanta. And we got sort of a ranch uh, about an hour outside of Atlanta where we could, uh, where we could uh, you know, had a huge range we could shoot on. And we trained the guys up, you know, for every day. They're there at 6, 7 in the morning. And, I mean, like, we trained the shit out of them. And, but they have to be, first of all, the actors have to be available. They have to want to do that, be dedicated. Even if the director is demanding it, it's, there's always a balance. Look, actors, you know, they, there are only a few of them are movie stars that make so much money. They can kind of afford to take time off. The vast majority of actors have to work like anybody to make a living. So like a lot, we would lose often actors, like, you know, you're training for three days and one's got to go because they got to do a TV show in New York or whatever. And, you know, so it's difficult. It's a luxury if you have all of them for like a month and a half straight to just train, 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 train. It just doesn't work out that way. So we did the best we can do. They probably trained more in this than they had on any other movie ever. And the people I had training them, I said, look, just take the gloves off. That's it. Like, you know, don't, don't, don't pussyfoot around. Train them hard. And they did. And, and all the guys were the actors were amazing. And they totally embraced it. I mean, completely. Because of that, it really bonded everybody. And to this day, everybody's great friends. And that, that's pretty rare. And that, I think that's really, really because we drill down, man. We train hard, you know. Um, and they really, like, you know, they, they brought the, their firearms home with them. They wore them. You know, we, we made sure they're wearing the shoes they were going to wear on set so they're used to the way the shoes feel. 
you know, wanting them to feel like what it's, what it's like to walk when they're, when they're, when they're strapped, you know, what, what does that mean when you, when you're carrying a gun, what has it feel different? So we really like went you know, above and beyond uh, because I just didn't want to have it as, as little bullshit as possible, you know? And I think that that affects their performance. It makes them much more uh, natural, natural and they're at ease and they feel honest when they're portraying these guys, you know? And so that, that's, it, we really just train hard. That's what, you know, I'm, I come from the world of sports and it's just about reps, man. It's about training, 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 you know? And, uh, you know, we couldn't do it enough. And so by the time, for, in, in the final shootout, for example, and we did that center peel. And that took a long time to, to design, you know, a long, long time, because the, the location where we were shooting was constantly moving. And we ended up getting that location. We had to shut down several blocks of the city for like three weeks to do it. And at the time, we had really, really bad weather. So we trained the guys beforehand. They did it off-site over and over and over and over again. So we didn't really, we barely used stunt doubles. Like they pretty much did all their own, all their own stuff. And they, by the time we got to shoot it, they were ready to go. They knew how to do a peel, a center peel. And, um, and that's why it looked the way it did, you know, and the other, the other thing that we were really stickers about was the sound, you know, so, you know, I, I tried to basically do as, as little sound and post as possible. You end up having to do it, of course, mm-hmm. but we recorded when they were training in that ranch outside of Atlanta, I had it all recorded. They recorded it, uh, the audio. And we had an incredible sound mixer, uh, one of the best in business. And like he did just put microphones freaking everywhere. And when we were on the actual location itself, like the ranch, there was a, on, on both sides of the ranch, it was a huge area, like a huge piece of land. But on, in the distance on the other side was an escarpment, like a little hill. So there was a reverb when we were, when the guys were training from, from the gunfire that was fucking incredible. And so then we looked for a location that had a similar thing. And, and that's the location that we use. And it also had, we were in sort of like a little bit of a bowl. And so when they would, when they would fire the, you know, the, obviously the blank rounds, it would have this killer, the reverb thing that was going on. that just sounded fucking bitching. So um, that was one of the other reasons why we chose that location. All we really did was we really sweetened the sound that we, that we got like at the actual location itself. And the reason why that's often not the case is a million things because of wind, because of, you know, it, it's difficult to get great production sound. We just happen to have one of the best guys in business. So we, we were able to, you know, pull that off largely. Uh, but then, you know, as we went into post-production, I was just a stickler about, you know, the caliber, you know, the, the size of the round, what it sounds like, you know, the, the gun itself, make sure this sounds like this gun, this round, this size, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and we just really, really paid very, very close attention to that. And then the, the technical advisors, my consultants, who are all my boys, you know, they were right there the whole time during the entire shoot. And we would do a take, we'd watch it, and we'd take the actor aside and go, you know, adjust this, adjust that. You know what I'm saying? Hold the, hold the fire on this or hold the rifle this way. You know, all that kind of stuff. And, and, and as, we, as we would do it, each take would get better and better, you know? And it's, it's like sports, man. It's, it's like anything else. You know, you just got to, you know, you've been on the range a million times. You just got to do it. You just got to do it, you know? And so it becomes just that muscle memory. You know, it's, it's funny. I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm looking at my list of things that I, I wanted to ask you and, you you covered like a dozen of them, so I'm super excited. Oh boy! Uh, but one of the Shit, things, sorry. I, I, what? No, no, no. It's a hundred. It's perfect because one of the things I had on here was I have a little star next to it, and because I thought I was crazy and I didn't know, but I wanted to ask you about because from my perspective when I watched the show, so the uh-huh. you, had, you had the police, so the uh, L.A. County Sheriff's Department unit correct and then you had the the heist team which obviously they never really you never really went into it in the movie but they were obviously all ex-military and trained correct so 
when, when Marsoc Marines. Yeah, so when you when you watched the film, I noticed a difference between the the polished movement and tactical movement of the ex-military guys versus yep. the police. Correct. And Correct. That's awesome. There is a difference. So I'm not crazy. <laughs> I'm not crazy. No, you you're not crazy. Put that in there intentionally. 100% because that's the way it is, you know, and it, it's, it's, uh, you know, look, I mean, the majority of the time the cops are dealing with uh, a handgun and a shotgun, you know, and it's obviously the tactical units that have the carbines, you know, so um, not that they don't know how to handle a rifle. Of course they do, but not quite to that degree, you know, and obviously the law enforcement has got the, the upper hand, right? Cause they got the numbers, they've got the, 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 backup. So these dudes, these bank robbers for them to be able to pull off, they're trying to pull off. They got to be on point boy. So that was 100% by design. And uh, I'm glad you picked up on that. That's interesting. That's precisely exactly the point. Yeah, that was that was one of my favorite parts, I think, was just watching the difference between the two. And to know now that it was actually built in makes all yes. the difference, right? So yeah. Yeah. one of the other things I wanted to ask you, and this is just on a very real technical side of things, usually, like, when we think blank ammunition, especially uh-huh. in military law enforcement training, we're, when we use blank ammunition, we have BFAs, the, the blank firing adapters that go on yep. to the end of the rifle. Now, in the movies, you fire blanks. You fire tens of thousands of rounds of blanks, but we never see the BFA on the rifle. Is that something that's edited special effects afterwards, or do you guys have no. special adapters? Well, we have, no, we take them off. We have armorers come, and, of course, the blanks shoot that little projectile, right? So... Everybody has to be very, very careful, you know? Um, so we take, we have all these safety measures in place, but we don't want it. We don't take that out in post. That would be too time consuming and difficult. We don't have that on there. Okay. Um, because it would, we want it to look real, you know? And then, and then if you just left that for post-production, it would be, it would be a pain in the ass. So armors basically come in, they adapt the end of the barrel to, to, keep, to keep the the gas in the cylinder so that, uh, you don't get failures, and uh, it's all just exactly right. Actually, modified weapon just for films, but but you do get failures. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we had uh, so in the in the final shootout, the character Merriman in that center peel, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, his was I think it was an HK four sixteen. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, uh, in his kept jamming, and uh, and like we just couldn't freaking get it right, and like the armor we kept. They had like three of them, and for whatever freaking reason, his kept going wrong, and like it 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 slowed us down quite a bit. It, it was quite an issue that day, um, and we did that whole peel their their side of the peel we did in one day basically, and the cop side was another day. The whole thing took three weeks to shoot the whole sequence, mm-hmm. um, but their their peel from the from the when they, when he shoots the fifty cal right. And to when they're peeling down the center peel to the basically the end of the traffic, that was one day. And so we, we had a lot of problems with his, uh, with his firearm, which was a pain in the ass. Um, because you're trying to move fast. You got to, you got to fix it. Get another, you know, no. so that was, that was difficult, but, um, yes, they do modify them specifically for, uh, for the film. That's awesome. So I want to, yeah. I want to kind of take a step to the side a little bit and I want to uh-huh. ask you, what the transition was like 
going from the screenwriter producer side of things to basically uh, running the show, directing it and doing absolutely everything. Like, was that, was it easier or more difficult when we're talking about putting in all these special things that you wanted to do, like bringing in consultants and stuff like that? Does it, does it get easier or harder on, on either side for you? Well, I mean, it, it was easy in the sense that, I mean, that I, I, even though I was writing for years without directing, I went to film school to be a director. I've been preparing to direct for my entire career, basically. And obviously, I've been on a million film sets. And so I've been really preparing for it for a long, long time. So even though it was my first feature film, it's not, it was not really, it's not really fair to say I was a first time kind of guy. I've been preparing for it forever. It, the most difficult part of the process for sure is for me is the writing. Writing is definitely the most sort of mentally labor intensive aspect of the process. Directing is much more physically challenging. Not that there aren't challenges, but there, of course there are. And you're making a million decisions a day. But if the script is great, if it's locked, if you've got great cast and you have the, you know, financial means to execute, you just got to go. It, it's, it's, it's really like when you're there shooting when it comes down to it, if you've done everything in prep correctly, it's fun. You know, that, that, that's like the, that's like the reward for all the hard work leading up to it. Really. Um, it's like game time, you know I mean? The difficult part is training, right? Or it's like, you know, the fight night, you know, it's like the training is you know, when you get out there in the ring, it's like, okay, you know, we're here now. Let's, let's go. Let, let's, let's enjoy, let's be in the moment. Let's enjoy it. You know, but that's, that only happens if you've done your, done all the work beforehand. If you haven't done the work beforehand, things can go sideways on you really fucking fast. But if you've done the work, you're, you know, it's, it's a joy. One of the reasons I asked was because when I, whoever's watching this, um, and we'll have it on the show notes page, but if we link to say your IMDB page and you look through right. the films that you've been involved with, there's a, there seems to be a pretty, uh, pretty set theme, which is, you know, dealing with these law enforcement military type movies um, is what I've right. seen. Mm -hmm. So movies like A Man Apart, uh, London Has Fallen, yeah. right, and then right. Den of Thieves, and now the second Den of Thieves that'll be coming up. What was your right. inspiration? Like, where does your inspiration come from, and why are you why are you so into this genre? A combination of things. A combination of growing up in the kind of films that I loved, from gangster films to crime films to you know some action. I've never really liked. And on a man apart, London has fallen. I didn't direct those. So how those turned out as films is not really nothing to do with me. I, I just wrote them. So there's, there's a huge transition from script to the making of a movie gigantic. If, if I had directed a man apart, it probably would have been a completely different kind of movie. God bless it. Um, but um, <laughs> the interest is really in the genre. And then just in my, again, I, I was never a cop. I was never in the military, um, but I have so many friends that have been, I've, you know, I've trained a lot of ranges and a lot of tactical stuff in the past. I am by no means an expert in it at all. I just, I have a lot of, I have just tons of respect, you know, for you and your kind. Always have. I have friends from LAPD to LAPD SWAT to Los Angeles Sheriff's Department, the feds, ATF, FBI. I've got, you know, somebody's mind that went to the CIA. I've got friends that were in Delta that were, you know, growing up in California, California, there's so many as it was a huge military presence, as you know, mm -hmm. um, and just, and it's also, and also through, um, through the world of, of martial arts and the world of Brazilian jiu-jitsu and all that, I you know, came in contact with a lot of guys and, you know, a lot of cops train, a lot of military guys train. So I met a lot of guys through that and I've just hung around them quite a bit. And I'm just, I'm, I, I admire them. I respect them enormously. 
and I'm fascinated by them, you know, and I'm, and I'm fascinated by, I think just like the way one is fascinated by like fighters, you know, just someone that has the, the courage to do something for a living, you know, and I, from on both sides, on the gangster side as well. I mean, depending on who they are, of course, but you know, there's just something, uh, to me, endlessly fascinating. I think, obviously, ever, most people in the you know movie-going world would agree. Otherwise, there wouldn't be so many sort of crime-based films made and t- and TV. It's just kind of endlessly fascinating. It's like people that are out on the, you know, that are the pushing the limits, you know, and that you know risk their lives really and what they do for a living. I think is just inherently dramatic, and I just I just have a, a fascination with that world. And with those people that do that, all the way down to the emotional side, you know, the emotional toll that all takes on them, you know, to what they're like, their personalities, how they behave, how they look, how they walk, how they talk. I just find it interesting, you know, and I think I always will. I'm not sure that answers your question, but it really comes down to that, you know, and just I've seen just some of the shit that I've experienced, you know, from, uh, you know, my own life in in, in the streets and in the valet and, and, and and uh, you know, just talking to talking to various law enforcement guys and about their experiences. I mean, it's just some crazy shit. That's just it's just fascinating. When you're writing these scripts, do you build those into the into your scripts when you're writing them? Like, do you? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, I, I don't. I mean, I honestly, I try to make make very little up. I mean, all my characters are, are usually based on people that I know um, to some degree, and I kind of like you know, maybe I I, I blend two people into one. You know, I, and the reason for that is because if I know the people, then I can speak to it with some emotional authority. I sort of, I have an understanding of who they are as people, which is super important. Otherwise you're just making shit up, which I don't like to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, if I, I'm not really a creative writer in that sense. I'm not a, I don't sit down in front of a blank page, just like make something up and write it. I try to understand it in the real world, whether it's through meeting people, going to the world, seeing it for myself, watching a documentary, books on the subject, articles. I try to sort of immerse myself in a world to really have a really uh, as deep of an understanding of it as I can. I don't like to be a tourist. I, I like to sort of, even though I am in that world, I like to sort of really understand it. And my goal will always be like another thing I'm doing coming up. You know, there's, there'll be a lot of um, uh, special forces kind of, you know, a contractor, military contractor stuff involved. Like, and like with Denethews one, like I want people like yourself to watch it and say, man, they, they nailed it. And, and I, I can't tell you how many uh, cops reached out to me after the movie from emails to phone calls and everything. And, and said exactly that said, man, you nailed it in the movie. And um, I had a, a retired guy from Los Angeles Sheriff's Department, major crimes who's in it for 30 years. And uh, he reached out to me and called me and he said, it's the best portrayal of cops I've ever seen. And like, that's like, quite frankly, that's the biggest compliment I can get. And, and you know, I hope to continue that, you know, um, because it is, uh, I find that to be, to do things authentically, I think is probably the hardest thing to do in filmmaking. I, just because there's so much, as I said before, there's such so many layers of artifice around you to strip that away to make something real is, 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 is tough. Why do you think that filmmakers aren't, wholeheartedly taking your lead and going that route. Cause we've, and I don't know if it's maybe just, it may just be the circle of people that I hang around with, but you know, when we see movies like den of thieves and, and ones that are realistic, those are the types of films that we watch over and over and over again. And we, right. We love to watch. And then, but it seems like they're so few and far between. Is there, 
Well, is there like yeah. a disconnect somewhere? Or? Uh, well, I think, um, I mean, I can't speak for everybody. There are obviously a lot of brilliant filmmakers out there. I think there are from, you know, Michael Mann is great, you know, um, obviously he did Heat. You know, there are a lot of, there are a lot of European filmmakers who do a really good job in terms of the authenticity of worlds. You know, Stefano Salima, the Italian director, did Sicario 2, was great. Uh, Denis Villeneuve, who did the first one, great. But what I think, I think a lot of it has to do with the filmmaker themselves. Um, a lot of them aren't physical guys. They're not physical people. So uh, they probably lack sort of a basic understanding because obviously tactics, it's a physical world, you know, and without an understanding of the physicality of something, I think it's difficult to have a total understanding of it and to be able to recognize it when it's right and recognize it when it's wrong. They, guys like that would then have to really lean heavily on a consultant. And I think often what happens is they take some of what they say, the, the, the technical advisors, that is, and some things they, they don't take. I would take everything. You know what I mean? Like they would tell me what it would be. I'm like, that's what we're doing. And I mean, every time. So it, sometimes it's inconvenient because it doesn't fit with maybe your vision of what it's supposed to be, or it doesn't fit in with how you're going to shoot something or what was written in the script or, but there are certainly some amazing filmmakers out there who are doing a, you know, a great job with that. No question. I'm not, I'm not, you know, uh, stupid enough or arrogant enough to think that I'm the only one at all. Um, I, I appreciate what you're saying. And, you know, it, it's just a result of really, I, I just really care about it. You know, I just, I really, because just like it bothers you, it drives me crazy. And I don't even have that much knowledge of it. But even I know I see things in movies. I'm like, it's, it just takes me out of the movie. It's just horseshit. I, it drives me nuts. And it, I just want them to get it right. You know, I, as a moviegoer, I'm the world's biggest movie fan there is, you know, like I love it when I see something like, yeah, okay, right on, you know? And, you know, I don't look at it with the critical eye that you guys do, obviously, but I know enough to know that I only know so much and I need help to, to fill in the blanks. I wanted to ask you, and I think this is a great point where I think we can help clear the air for a lot of people because, you know, sometimes when we sit down and we watch these movies, we're like, how hard would it have been for them to get somebody in there to show them how to handle a firearm or show them how right. to do this or how to do that? And from what, from hearing you say that, I'm starting to think that it's probably a lot of, it's not that they don't have consultants. And if they do bring, bring people in as consultants, they're probably very qualified to teach and, and show them accurately what they're supposed right. to do. But somewhere in the production of the film, some creative liberties are taken and not all of what the, the consultant is passing along is being used. And that's why we're seeing all these major issues in the films. Correct. And also consultants need to be empowered to speak up. A lot of them come. It's fucking Hollywood. There's all this shit everywhere. Hundreds of people working their ass off. They're unfamiliar with it, right? They're honored to be there. There's the movie star. There's the director. Wow, 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 right? All understandable. If they're not empowered to say, hey, come here, like, t tell us, what do you think? You know, they're, they're just going to, you know, they're, they're not getting paid tons. They're getting paid decent money. Not They're hanging out. It's, to them, it's fun, right? So if somebody's not going out of their way to say, hey, brother, what are we doing wrong? What are we doing right? Can you help us out here? They're just going to sit there. They're not going to, it's not their job or place to like speak up and, you know, wave their hands and say, hey, like this is wrong. They have to be asked that. So, and I think a lot of it, like, you know, like in act, the actors, quite frankly, have to be willing to not know something. You know, I have to be willing to say, like, okay, I don't know shit. Tell me, bro. Like, what, how do we do this? You know, that takes a certain kind of person to do it, you know? And if 
you can also feel the energy like in the set, like, okay, this is a place where they're not really going to want to hear me talking about it too much. Cause they're already, they're already so off point right now. You know what I mean? That I, I, I want to even begin to correct what they're doing. Cause it all looks so wrong or they they're brought in days before and they meet everybody. Everybody's like, we're so happy you're here. Thank God you're here. We need your help, man. Like, how do we do this, this, and this? And if they're empowered, I think then you'll see those results on the screen. When it comes to casting, so obviously for Den of Thieves, like, so you had Gerard Butler, um, who I'm sure everybody who's listening to this is familiar with who he is and the movies that he's done and the roles that he's had. And uh-huh. he's no, he's, he's definitely had his fair share of action films where he's used firearms. Is it, right. is it easier to have somebody like him come into a movie like this, or is it more difficult? Because I mean, from a training perspective, you know, it's always harder to, you know, I'd rather have a blank slate because they don't come in with any bad habits kind of thing. Is it kind of the same thing with, with these types of movies or no? Um, I, both are true. I mean, well, number one, it helps if the actor is at least semi-athletic, right? For sure. I mean, you're, you're, you're mimicking something. Right. And the more athletic you are, the more physically inclined you are, the easier that is to do. To speak to what you're saying, for example, Pablo Schreiber, uh, who's a great athlete who played D1 hoops, uh, came off of 13 hours. So he did a fair amount of training, was not unfamiliar with it, you know, um, a fellow Canadian, by the way. Uh, Another fantastic movie. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, so Pablo was trained up a little bit. So he, it, wasn't, it wasn't totally new to him. Some of the a- other actors had never done it before. You know, it would be like, you know, going to the park to go play hoops. Like some guys have played before, some guys haven't. Some guys, you know, naturally better than another, whatever. It's the same thing, you know. So, you know, we would definitely have to spend more time with the actors who were less familiar, no question. And, you know, but Jerry, Jerry is, you know, he, he's a big, strong dude, you know, and as is Pablo. Pablo is 6'5", you know, good athlete, really good athlete. 50 as well, 50 is a big, strong boy. So, uh, you know, they, they all took to it more quickly you know it's like anything you know i mean you know and some guys take a little bit longer and you just you know you keep 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 getting them those reps you know till they're comfortable yeah when you're casting as well like so for that the role of big nick uh in the first Uh there's a lot of there was a lot of and i when i was speaking with jay he was saying there's a lot of intricate little things when it came to having people portray undercover police officers the mannerisms, yes. the attitudes. Yep. Where does yep. that come into play when you're when you're casting it, and how do you how do you know when you have like the right person for the role? Okay, well, it starts with the script, and it starts with me working with Jay and with the other cops I worked with. When I'm scripting, when I'm describing the characters, right? I describe them a specific way, right? The look, their vibe, their energy, how they walk, how they talk. It's very specific. So then when you go to casting, the casting director, John Papsadera, is one of the best in the business. He and I have a conversation. This is the kind of guy I'm looking for, you know? And maybe we, we talk about certain actors or not. If we're talking about a role that, like, you see a lot of people, then you, you have a pretty clear idea of what you're looking for in the type of dude or woman. And you just start seeing people, you know? And then, very, I mean, usually somebody is going to pop right out at you, you know, and all the guys in the film were, were obviously those, those people. And they just, they, so they come in, those actors come into the audition having read the script and having uh, at least 
a, very, a pretty strong early idea of what's expected of them, what kind of guy they have to be. Now, they've trained at all, but they're getting an idea of, okay, all right, you know, I got to be this kind of dude. And they prepare and they come in and then you, you get a sense for it pretty quickly. You know, it's like, um, it'd be like, you know, if you coach a varsity basketball team right, or football team and you got tryouts, you know, and, and, and kids come in and maybe you've never seen any of them before. Well, the ones that are good, the ones that are less, it, it's very clear very quickly. It's the same thing. Somebody's right for the role or not. And then usually the person you cast is somebody just boom. They just, they just stand out like, bam, like they're the guy. You can just, usually you see like, that's him right there, you know? And then it was, in terms of the mannerisms and all that, Jay Dobbins we had on was instrumental in that. You know, it was down to what they wear, their shoes, what, what kind of jeans, not dickies, what are they wearing? You know, what do they look like? Do they smoke, not smoke? What kind of cigarettes, they, literally what kind of cigarettes do they smoke? What kind of cars do they drive? All that, kind of, you know, what kind of, uh, you know, side armor are they, are, they, are they wearing on? You know, all those details because that all helps the actor and it all makes it more real for them. All that little stuff, it all adds up, you know, and uh, Jay and uh, primarily with, with the regulators, with, with big Nick, with Gus Baracho, uh, Tony Z and Murph, he was, he was amazing. He basically took them to cop camp. We called it, you know, and talked about like street theater and w emotionally what it's like to be an undercover cop, talk about the emotional toll. And, you know, Jay was like with, with, with the shootouts, my tactical guys were there. And then with all the character scenes, with all, you know, Big Nick and the regulators, all, all the sheriff's department guys, Jay was right there with me. And when we had the big, the decoy heights, the Pico Rivera Bank, I had my boy Mario, Mario Cortez from LAPD right there, you know, getting all the radio speak right and everything. You know, they were right there with me and they would just, we'd sit there and go, yes, no, yes, no, that's good. That's not good. Change that, fix that. That's great. Perfect we would just go through everything, you know, you know, and to, when you, when you listen to those guys and they're empowered and free to speak and give their opinion, it's a wonderful process. You know, it's just, uh, and, and then, then you, it, at least it gives me confidence, you know, uh, otherwise I'm looking at something I'm like, is that right? I don't know. It looks okay to me. That looks kind of weird. I mean, what do you think? And they tell me, I'm like, great. It gives you confidence. Okay. We can move on now because we got that, that like, that looked right. That looked legit. Boom. Let's move on. And quite frankly, I would be insecure without them there with me. Yeah. When you look back at the film, because Dead of Thieves has been out now for a little while and you're working on the right. second, when you look back yeah. and it's, it's wholeheartedly, it's your baby, right? It's your, it's your thing. So yeah. when you look back at it, are you ever kind of hypercritical of certain things? Is there anything when you see it oh, now where, where you're like, what, what are some things that you would have been like, Oh, I should have done that differently. Well, Oh, man, that, that that's a long answer. I mean, like, <laughs> because when you're edit, when you're, I mean, I've seen the movie five thousand times. Because when you edit the film, you're right. going over every half. I mean, like, right? I, you can't even count every time this. You know, so I mean, you're so crazily, intimately aware with literally every frame of the movie, you kind of get lost in the minutia of it all. I mean, really, it's it's about what wasn't in the film is what I regret. It's some of the scenes that we shot that weren't put in the film and some of the stuff that we couldn't shoot in the first place because of the, the, dictates, the dictates and the realities of production. It was more balanced character-wise before what was on the page in the script. You spent more time with Merriman. You spent more time with Ensign, 50 Cent's character, more time with Nick. And with Gus also, there's a scene in the church where Gus and Ensign go to the same Baptist church and they're both there with their daughters and that sets up the prom scene in the garage. Um, you would spend more time with Nick and his family. 
you saw deter you saw the it, the deterioration of it. So my regrets are really what we weren't able to get into the movie. Some of those things we shot, and that's a function of what the studio wants, of the the, the length of the film, um, like a lot of things, you know. And the at the end of the day, what you're trying to do as a director is limit compromises because you have to make a lot of them, you know. Like the uh, most filmmakers, I'm sure the, the the image they have in their head of what the movie should be when it's just a script, uh, the better the filmmaker, the more clear that is. And it's really about executing that as closely as possible to the best of your ability. And because there are going to be compromises along the way, that's just, that's just the way it is. And so it's just, it's really about the frustration that I will always have. It's probably like when you're an athlete, like that game that you lost, like, Oh God, I lost that game. Fuck. You know, you can't kind of, kind of, even though you've won a lot, you've lost those few drives, you crazy kind of thing, that kind of stuff. Like when I see certain parts of the movie, I'm like, Oh God, like, man, if we could only have done that, only have gotten that scene in there, da, da, da. There was, a, for example, there was a whole sequence when Merriman gets released from prison where you followed him, like the first minutes of him in the car being driven back by his girlfriend, right? And he's, he's, it's really bright outside, sunglasses on. He's like kind of tripping out on the world. He sees a bank and he gets goosebumps, you know, and then like he goes to the market and he only buys prison food and his girlfriend's laughing at him. I mean, it was a great sequence that really was very revelatory of character. And then as I mentioned before with 50 Cent's character Ensign, it sets up the prom scene. He's at a church and Gus, the cop is there. They're both happen to go to the same Baptist church. They're with their families. They're walking out of the church. 50 Cent's character sees his daughter across the street talking to her prom date, who's a gangbanger. And he sees this kid all gang banged out and waves her over. And then Gus and he have a moment where Gus, the cop, is like, hey, that's, that's trouble right there. And then 50's character says, yeah, tell me about it. And then they go, and then 50 takes his family and his, and his daughter, they go to the car and he's talking to his wife, like, you know about this fucking punk? Like, what the fuck's she doing with this fucking punk? And his wife tells him, you wonder why she likes a boy like that, look in the mirror. And then he gets in an argument with his daughter and it sets up the scene in, in the garage with a prom date. And it, w- it was an amazing scene. It just didn't make the movie, you know? Stuff like that is what kind of just, it'll drive me crazy forever. That's got to be the toughest part, especially being a, a writer and because I'm assuming, and obviously I don't know because I've, I've never written a script for a film, but I, I assume that when you're writing and putting these films together and developing the characters, that's kind of like, that's the film for you is, is the development of the characters and how they progress and how right. they change. Correct. Um, and then when you get to the production of the movie, you're like, okay, now I have X amount of minutes to try to fit this entire yep. story in here. And, Correct. and now you're having to cut out parts that you really wish you didn't have to. I mean, like, look, like there are locations you just can't get, right? It's like it's maybe one or two options for location. You can't get it for whatever reason. Owner doesn't want to run it out. Whatever the hell it is, can't get the location. Now what? I mean, it's stuff like that. It's like, oh, guess what? It rained out that day. We lost that day. Can't get it back. Sorry. Um, You know, uh, a million things. I mean, production is like an, it's like a living, breathing organism. You know, you're, you're bringing hundreds of people together for a few months and, you know, you know, back in the day, I mean, now today with budgets, budgets are so crunched down. I mean, like, if you watch like a documentary about like, you know, Heart of Darkness, you know, Coppola's documentary, his wife's documentary about the making of Apocalypse Now. I mean, obviously that's the extreme example, you know, and Apocalypse Now is one of the best movies ever made, but they shot over like a year and a half. I mean, oh my God, are they, those days over. I mean, like, you know, you just, you just, there's so many things you want to do. You just don't have the time. There's just no time. 
and you're already what you are doing it's already a rush 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 go 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 at all times like you're never taking your foot off the gas and when you're sh with the actors when you're there shooting it you, you try to you don't want that feeling there you don't want to feel that rushy rush feeling because you want them to be able to relax and really play the scene right uh, and that's the challenge of production that that's that's um uh, that's always the challenge and you have to you know you got to you got to keep moving at a brisk pace and if you prepped it right you, you, you'll be okay so speaking of production i am excited yeah. to ask you about den of thieves 2 which you've yeah. already started putting together where in the process yeah. are you with that film uh so i am in uh basically finishing the script but finishing the script is like further into the process the process starts with the research the outlining of the film so the whole film story is all outlined uh then i go in uh, then i go do the research i bring in all the technical consultants technical advisors the movie is going to take place in europe and it's going to be about uh diamond and uh it goes into the world of the uh the panther mafia who i'm sure you, they, they refer to in the media as the pink panther mafia but it revolves around uh, a series of diamond heists. So I just spent a lot of time in Europe just now. I just got back, spent time in London with guys from uh, the Flying Squad, you know, from the Metropolitan Police, guys in intelligence, um, uh, private security contractors who've dealt with going after these, these guys. I was in, in Marseille, uh, in Antwerp, uh, Belgium, uh, visiting the Diamond Center there with the commander of the Diamond Police. I'm going through all his files. I'm basically the same process I did on Den 1, going out there, meeting the real people in the real world, seeing the world, breathing it, smelling it, tasting it, understanding it. And now all these uh, gentlemen and uh, ladies are now, you know, teamed up with me and helping me on the script. The script's almost done. Uh, and then we will be going into pre-production around Christmas time, prepping it through January, February. We'll be shooting it between February and May in Europe, in, in France, uh, London, uh, Croatia, and Montenegro. That's awesome. I'm super excited yeah. for that. So now that, I'm, yeah. now that I'm thinking about, when I was doing my research for this interview, you did uh, a film or you, you had written a script for something with Pink Panther Mafia before. Am, am I right on that? Or Correct. You are. But it, and that's just one of the many, so a little window into the world of, of, of film development and scripts, the majority of scripts that are written for studios are never made, right? So I don't know what the exact percentage is, but let's say 10%, probably less, right? Um, actually see, the, uh, see the, the light of day in production. You know, it's just, um, there's so many factors involved. One example is years ago, I wrote uh, a script that was considered to be a big time script this is in the early 2000s for Warner Brothers. Um, it, it was, it was, a, it was a big deal and it would look like it was going to be going straight into production, but it was about pirates in the 16th century. And then pirates of the Caribbean went into production and basically killed the project. They, they felt that the marketplace couldn't, even though it wasn't like sort of family comedy, like pirates of the Caribbean, they felt that, uh, there couldn't be two big pirate epics in the marketplace at the same time. So that movie died. That's just one example. And this happens all the time. Mm -hmm. I wrote a CIA movie years ago called the company. Uh, if you remember the movie called The Recruit with Al Pacino and I, uh, Colin Farrell? I do very well, yes. So I wrote a script for Warner Brothers called The Company. And halfway through the process, we found out about this project called The Recruit, that they had just finished the script. 
so, and they wanted to go. So it basically, everybody, we all knew in the business, they knew we existed. They knew us, you know, and vice versa. And it was sort of a race to the finish line, quite frankly. And we were literally like a week away from being greenlit when they got Pacino to play the older guy and boom, that was it. They got greenlit. They beat us by like a week. So that movie then goes away. That's just kind of how it works. Or if a movie that's uh, similar to your script, if you wrote a script in a certain genre and a movie comes out that's similar and it bombs, well, your script's done. So uh, with, the, with the, the Pink Panther thing, that was one of the scripts that was at a studio that no longer exists. They went bankrupt. So it just kind of, there goes that, that script. That, but that happens all the time. That's why you have to have so many irons in the fire. To make a living, you have to be involved in all kinds of stuff. Otherwise, it just otherwise you're you're dead in the water. Yeah, it's really interesting, and and obviously you, we get to see that from the consumer side of things and and from the fan side of things because when you right. see two movies come out very close together and it's kind of the same movie almost, you're like, oh, that's interesting. And usually one does extremely well and one doesn't, or they both just do right. mediocre and nobody remembers them. Right, exactly. I mean, that, that's that's always kind of funny when that happens. That's a result of so many different things. And you know, there's always kind of like, on the de- development side of the business, there's always sort of um, something kind of in the ether, a kind of movie that people are kind of looking to do for whatever reason, you know. And then, you know, when, whenever, for example, as a writer, we, we often or usually, we register our ideas with the writer's guild. So it's a register. It's like copywriting something, right? And invariably, whenever you're thinking of something new uh, when it's in just sort of like the, 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 the beginnings of the idea stage, you're like sort of putting it together and you maybe have a title and it, you know, you're sort of sort of formulating the whole thing in your head. Then you go register it and invariably you'll hear about five other projects that are like the same. You're like, how the fuck does five other people have the same idea, but somehow they just do, you know? And yeah. it, 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 it happens like that all the time. Yeah, I got I got my wheels spinning now because one of the things and and I realized why that came to my head because I was thinking so Gerard Butler was in there and one of the best examples would have been Olympus has fallen and White House down because they both kind of yeah, there we go it's the exact same premise and they both yep, came out yep. like at the same time yep. yep yep exactly I mean exactly yeah the 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 production quality on on one versus the other was completely different and the way they did things were different but yeah. You know, it's it's also it's also hard to when you're in the process of writing a movie and you start production. You know, you have a an educated guess as to how the movie's going to turn out, but quite frankly, you have no idea. You know what I mean? I mean, it's, it, you, you're you're trying to you know catch lightning in a bottle. You know, and there's so many things that have to go right for a movie to turn out well. So many things, you know, and just you kind of it just you, you take a swing. You know, your best bet. You know, you try to make it work the best you can. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. That's just kind of like the way it goes. So with Dead of Thieves 2, I know people are going to be listening to this and wondering, so because it's in Europe and it's centered around a completely different area, it's going to be a continuation of the first. It, it, yeah, the same character is going to carry through. There will be connective tissue between both movies, yes. How hard is it when, how is it, is it easier to, to tie two movies together like that? Or is it more difficult? Because I've seen in the past, you know, when you, you watch a film that you love and then they're like, oh, there's a second one coming out. And then it's a completely different cast, completely different premise. And you're like, oh, OK, it's kind of the same, but it's not. Is that something that you right. to avoid with this or? Well, I mean, in the DNA of the first one, we planned on a second one. You know, it would for sure stand on its own as a movie, but we always kind of plan on there being because 
I have a vision for four, four different stories. So that's in the back of our head. Obviously, you have no idea the first one's going to work while you're making it. You got to make that first one work uh, in and of itself. But it did. So now we're doing another one. It's a little bit like TV. I mean, like sort of the beauty of television is you can follow these characters for eight, 10 hours, you know what I mean? As opposed to an hour and a half, you know what I mean? So I, I, I sort of layered in a, a setup for the second one in the first one. So that was, you know, already sort of that work was already done. And then knowing the characters, it's definitely easier to go into the second one, writing it, having to know everybody's involved, know their voice. You know, it, it, it's definitely a, sort of a natural progression. Well, I, for one, am super excited for this film. And I, uh, you have a, a fan for life. I promise you that. I love the way that you, you develop and, and produce your films and, and the finished product. I think they're absolutely fantastic. So um, keep doing what you're doing, man. I'm, uh, I'm loving it. Before, I appreciate that, my friend. Before we, we kind of get off the call here, um, I wanted to ask huh? you, what if you had a list of your favorite kind of movies in the, the military law enforcement crime genre, what are your, what are your favorite movies and why? Whew, boy. Um, you can name your own if you want, but that's kind of cheating. <laughs> uh, milita- military, Black Hawk Down, Zero Dark Thirty, the first whatever half an hour saving private ryan the rest you can forget um crime genre french connection anything that scorsese does from taxi driver to goodfellas that's, that's a little bit different of course um then recently uh, i'm working with a producer of uh, sicario right now in something called mafia x i love the sicario films i love the sensibility behind them um hell or high water i liked um, trying to think, uh, the, the the Italian uh, television show Gamora is absolutely brilliant. Same director as Sicario too, brilliant. Uh, Sabura, uh, another Italian uh, gangster film, Sexy Beast, uh, Un Profet, the French film. Um, trying to think more military. Yeah, Thirteen Hours, all right. Thirteen Hours, all right. It's all right. Uh, Hurt Locker, you know, I enjoyed. I think Catherine Bigelow is an amazing director. Love her. But I think uh, Black Hawk Down probably. My favorite, unless I'm forgetting something right now, Full Metal Jacket. I mean, the first, uh, Kubrick's my favorite filmmaker ever, but I mean, the first 45 minutes of Full Metal Jacket, like, I mean, forget it. I'd had then, yeah, Black Hawk Down. When I first saw that, I was, I, I was like 10th row in a theater. And it just, it just, it really, I always, you know, obviously there, tactically, it's, it's, there are some issues here and there, but it just, it really, uh, um, it really grabbed me at the time, big time. When you, I mean, it, it must be completely different for you being in Hollywood and watching films than it is for somebody like me who's, you know, up here in Canada. I'm completely, I'm, I'm, I'm sure how many degrees away from Hollywood I would be, but whatever the most is, probably that. And so when, when I watch films, I see things through a totally different lens. So when you watch films, in the back of your mind, do you always like, oh, I could do that or I would do that differently? Like, how does, how does that process work for you? Yeah, no, you definitely do that, but it's more, I either like something or I don't, do you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, oh, this is not for me, you know, it, it, or, or I just, I just admire the shit out of it. Like right now I'm just really admiring the, the, the Italian show Gamora. It's so well done. You know, like I just, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm enamored with what they did, you know, because I know how difficult it is. I'm like, damn, they fucking killed it, you know? And I, I look, I love movies as much, if not more than anybody. 
And when you see something, it's great. It's just a joy, you know? So, but yeah, it's more, I guess you maybe have a little bit less patience for certain things like uh, no interest, you know? Um, God bless them for doing the business, but just not interested at all. And then when you see something that's well done, it's like, man, hats off, you know? Mm-hmm. I, just, I, I probably have a, when it's bad, more of a disgust for it. When it's good, more of appreciation for it. That's awesome. Well, I'm yeah. going to have to have you back on here when, uh, when Den of Thieves rolls out. Um, and we can uh, we can talk about that again. I Christian, listen, man. I I know how busy you are, and I want to thank you so much. Um, and for everybody listening to this, I know everyone's thanking you for taking the time and jumping on the call and explaining a little bit more of the background of what happens behind the scenes with these movies because we love what you're doing, and I love what you're doing, and just just keep hitting it hard, man. Uh, I think you're I think you're definitely going to be leading the pack here coming up. So it's it's awesome. I, I appreciate that very much and much, much respect to you and your kind and all the, uh, all the cops and LA, you know, community out there. Nothing but respect for you guys. Thank you, my man. We'll talk again soon. Take care, brother. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on today's show. I hope you found it entertaining. I loved the opportunity to mix it up a little bit and send you something different. For more information on Christian and what he's getting up to right now, check out thebreakdown.ca forward slash 020. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast player, because coming up in 2020, we're doubling down. I'm coming at you twice as hard, twice as fast, twice as many interviews, and we're rolling out the instructor's roundtable right here on the Tactical Breakdown podcast. I'm going to be putting out a special episode here to wrap up the year and let you know what's going on in early 2020 and beyond, so make sure to stay tuned for that. Enjoy the holidays. Thank you for your love, your support, and I look forward to seeing you all again in the new year. Stay safe.